Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. You'll probably remember Madison Spencer Engel from episode 10. Well, she's back, and we're going to discuss the new Picard series. Let's get started. On mic today, we have Madison Spencer Engel returning. How have you been for the past couple of months? I've been great. Thank you. How about yourself? I have been doing fantastic. The last time we got together, you and I had talked about costuming and cosplay and all the various things that you've done in your career. But now we have something more exciting. We have actually had a new Star Trek series come out since our last conversation. Yes, Picard. Yes. How are you enjoying that so far? I am absolutely loving it. Absolutely enjoying it very much. I've seen two episodes at this point. You've seen three uh, it is uh, it just the third episode just dropped two nights ago for anybody catching this days or weeks down the line. Uh, I'm loving it, too. Yes, uh, I'm really enjoying that. They brought back certain characters. I like where they've set it in the timeline. I like how they've answered certain questions about what's gone on the past 20 years. Everything seems reasonable, uh, believable. Yes, Um some of the things I'm also enjoying, the overall aesthetic of the show, it has this sort of amber, umber, comfortable, lived-in look. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think back, at least I, I won't speak for you, when I think back to TNG and Voyager and DS9, everything was tight and constricted. They uniforms, the civilian uh, costumes, Mm -hmm. the aliens, everything they touched, everything was very clean and tight and where it was supposed to be for a reason and Mm -hmm. everything seemed very regimented. And everything now seems a little at ease, Mm -hmm. a little lived in. And I have a feeling we're going to find out there's a reason that the uniforms aren't as all tucked in Everything's a little more dropped. We're seeing buttons. We're seeing belts. We're seeing things opened. We're seeing dust. I think we're going to see some bigger pictures for the reasoning behind a lot of this stuff. And I'm definitely on board for this ride as to why we're seeing this overall more unbuttoned, so to speak, aesthetic. I I think I can... I don't know if speculation is a wise thing right now, but I definitely think that when it's revealed in the first 10 minutes of the first episode that Picard left Starfleet because he wasn't happy with the way Starfleet was handling things, there's a very good parallel between that and a Starfleet that's not quite military pristine anymore, that's letting the little things slip. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe that's an accident in the way the story's being told. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just what we're seeing is purposeful. Mm -hmm. And there's been little things that I'll, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm definitely on board for the ride. Um, Picard, like all Trek shows, like all shows we love, like all movies that we love, it's not perfect. Nothing is. I don't want it to be. No. I, I want something to, to have a conversation with someone and go, oh, you liked that? That wasn't my favorite, but I liked this. But I am on board for the ride. 
Mm-hmm. There might be something that might not necessarily be a choice that I would have made for a character, but I don't have to be the writer. I get to be the fan and sit and enjoy it. I don't get to be the designer or have to be. I get to sit and watch it and just relish it and enjoy it. So That's a really good point to make. And, you know, the last time we talked, we talked about discovery and how mm-hmm. it's rubbing certain people the wrong way. And even if somebody doesn't like Discovery and they don't don't like Picard, I think that there was a really big success already early on in that they took a lot of the storytelling framework of Discovery, a lot of the grittier, the the long form arcs, the stuff that's like people were worried, is Trek going to be this horrible dark direction forever? And like, no, Picard is light. It's cheery. It's charming. It's a lot of TNG. But mm-hmm. it incorporated discovery. So they, it proves that they can do different types of storytelling depending on what they want to do. They're not locking themselves into any model. No, it's taking the best. I'm, I was about to say it's taking the best of so many worlds. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't don't take this pun already. Mm-hmm. But it's taking the best of so many pieces mm-hmm. of what we love of so many of our franchises. And that's what I love. We're getting these characters from from TNG. We already know what we're getting from Voyager. We know pieces that elements that we've seen from Discovery. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those that says this was not my Picard, you know, d- enterprise. This was not what Picard was. This was not what this was. Things change, things evolve. Movie making changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV changes, the way that we broadcast TV changes. The new argument that's coming out is we never had to pay for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That's not true. TV has never been free. No. Um, and I think that's adorable that people think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole that's a whole different conversation. Um, but you have to be willing to go for the change. So mm-hmm. all of these changes that are happening, with these shows, I, I relish them. I am fine with them. I am open to things moving forward, adapting as we get new series and taking little pieces of all of them. I, I, I love living in the gray and taking a little piece of, uh, pieces of the black and white from all of them and creating something new. And... One thing I've pointed out to people that I just don't think is clicking is that Star Trek has never done well in a traditional distribution model. The original series. Yes. It struggled to get two seasons. It was canceled after three. Next Gen was syndicated, did wonderfully. Deep Space Nine was syndicated. It did wonderfully. With Voyager, they tried to go back to the studio model and... The only reason it survived was it was like the only decent show on UPN for the first seven years. Yeah. Enterprise went down that path. And suddenly it's like, okay, the regular model doesn't work for Star Trek. We need to find a way that the fans can meet Star Trek where they want it. And that the CBS model right now is perfect. And I, I truly think CBS is going to continue to create enough content that they're going to have it rolling out enough mm-hmm. that having that subscription is not going to be that big of a deal. No. When you look at what we waste 
on a Starbucks run or right. a, a Target run or wherever you decide to piddle away money here and there. And, and mm -hmm. I, I know I certainly do it. I'll look at it and go, okay, one less latte a month. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll pay for that. Mm -hmm. And the amount of content that we see coming, I mean, this is a golden age of being a Star Trek fan mm -hmm. um, with the amount of stuff that we've got coming. And all we have to do, all we have to do is show up to get Star Trek. That's all we have to do. Yeah. And people saying, well, I'm not going to watch it. Then guess what? You don't get it. Mm -hmm. It's that easy. If you want Star Trek, you just show up. And those people that say they're not going to watch it, they're going to watch it. Oh, yeah. 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 They will pirate it. They'll rent it from the library. They'll borrow a friend's login. They will watch it. Oh, so, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even I can't even listen to that argument because no, you, I, I don't buy it either. No. No. So where do you where do you rank this between the way we saw Discovery go and the way we're seeing Picard go in terms of tone, in terms of appropriateness to the, the franchise as a whole? Um, I left that vague for a reason. <laughs> The, the tone of this is, is different to me. It's, it is a lighter tone. Mm -hmm. It is a less, it's a more relaxed tone. One of my um, issues with, with a discovery, and I never mind discussing issues that I have with a program, because I can always love a program and still have mm -hmm. issues with. I never had any breathing room with discovery. Mm -hmm. It was action on top of action on top of action. It was a great, it's a great show to watch, but it's mm -hmm. an exhausting show to watch. I always find it difficult to go back and rewatch sequences and rewatch episodes. It's like each episode is like watching a motion picture. They're mm -hmm. so huge and it's exhausting. Picard already, I've gone back and rewatched because they're like these wonderful TNG episodes. I want to go back and rewatch them for everything that they are. Mm -hmm. Um, so the tone of them for me is it's very similar. It's familiar. The pacing is similar mm -hmm. um, of these two-part episodes. We were used to two-part episodes. So now we're getting these longer arcs on TNG. So that's a little different. So now it's like, okay, so now. And we love to take things and put them into frameworks that we remember. So it's like, okay, so it's like TNG characters, but in DS9 Framework. Okay. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I put it in that. Okay. Now I can wrap my brain around that and understand that. Got that. So that's the sort of tone that I'm, for me, that I'm getting. As far as it fitting in to the framework, I think arguably it fits into the framework perhaps a bit better than Discovery did because we're more comfortable with the effects, the, the technology, and that timeline. We're used to seeing a lot of those things in that timeline. A lot of the things we saw with Discovery were arguable with the technology, the aesthetics, the look. They took some chances that a lot of people weren't willing to take the ride 
mm-hmm. with those chances that they took. And I think more people are willing to take the chances on that ride. Um, there's been a little pushback on some of the uniforms. Um, uh, there's there's been a few negative comments I've read, um, but not the overall arcing um, displeasure that we were seeing with Discovery. Um, at least that's what I'm seeing. That's my take that I'm I'm seeing with Picard. I'm so happy that's how you opened that up because that that kind of was where I was going in this. We with both Discovery and Picard, we've wandered away from the different planet each week format. The, mm-hmm. the, the weekly mission format and I don't think that's a bad thing because I really like the long story arcs I like really I like payouts that come weeks and months down the line mm-hmm. but so much of Star Trek was made that way that part of me is like I almost feel guilty abandoning that because that's what made Star Trek what it was and it, it, it's, it's a difficult conflict for me to resolve mm-hmm um, the, one of the, the biggest things for me to work through with both shows, and it's, it's hard, you know, having a conversation, not talking about both of them, and I need to stay Picard-centric, is we're getting so many characters mm-hmm. that we're getting to know, and we have to fall in love with them the way that we used to. And for so long we were used to, you know, we had a captain, we had an XO, we had a chief engineer, we had a medical officer, you know we had these characters. That's what we were used to. You know, we had six, seven characters that that was it. And now we've got so many characters. Discovery had so many bridge officers. I'm like trying mm-hmm. to keep track. I'm like, I, I can't fall in love with all of these characters. I, I don't mm-hmm. know enough about them. Mm-hmm. And with Picard, it's like, Oh, I love her. I, I, he's, I love him. He's awesome. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm learning all these names so quickly. I'm, we're getting back to that storytelling, we're mm-hmm. repeating names, we're getting backstory, I'm learning about these. I think some of the missteps that they saw happening with Discovery, some of the writers saw and listened to the fans mm-hmm. and realized, okay, if we continue on this arc of long-form storytelling and put it in a format where they can't binge watch. We have got to make sure if we're going to introduce so many characters, so many new characters, Mm -hmm. they've got to be able to fall in love with these characters just as much. They've got to care about them. I need to care about them. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big help to me character wise. Mm -hmm. And it can't be a coincidence that the character that probably connected with the fans most quickly was Captain Pike, who they already had some investment in from mm-hmm. previous iterations of the show. Mm-hmm. And as much as we like Tilly and Saru and Lorca and, and, and Michael, we got Pike right away. We knew Pike from the first scene of the first show ever made. And that was a huge gamble. Mm-hmm. I mean, some huge shoes to fill. And he must have been a little trembling coming in knowing Mm-hmm. And he won us over almost immediately. We were just sort of blown away by him. And now we're all clamoring. It's like, just to, just give us the show. Just give us the Pike, Spock, and number one show. 
just just give it to us. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the next one we all want. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I I think that is was a big help to uh, Discovery was the strength of Pike. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I remember going back. I find it interesting. There's so many ideas that they bounced around in Trek that just keep getting pushed to the side and then resurface years, years later. In the 90s, they were always talking about doing some sort of movie that would be a mix of characters from different series. And they always backed off on that kind of saying, well, you know, you can't put Riker in with Janeway because the the actors have this chemistry the way they have it. And we just to, to mess with that is not great. It's a bad idea. And now, you know, you're seeing Picard team up with seven of nine. And it's like, okay. Maybe the fans were onto something that you people were missing out on. Right. I'm, again, I'm absolutely, absolutely on board for that ride. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's a great idea. It's been something that I have wanted to see. Um, you know, we've read about when they had talked about, you know, Seven possibly being in Nemesis a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that would have been a direction I would have wanted to go. But now seeing her in this i'm absolutely thrilled i love that we're mixing mm-hmm. um you know the rumor that had gone around that it was going to uh be uh janeway that mm-hmm. picard had gone to uh and asked for uh a ship would that have been a step too far absolutely i think I, so absolutely that would have been a step too far um, I think where they've got it, I think we're on a good path. We know where we're going to see Troy and Riker, and we're mm-hmm. all going to just, oh, we're all going to have so many feels. It's going to be difficult to control all the feels. Um, right now, I think I think they're doing it right. Um, I, I'm not unhappy with what they're doing so far. Even, you know, um, uh, the way we've met Hugh. Uh, is 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 the right way. So, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that they're continuing on with the destruction of Romulus, dealing mm. with that. Um, and I I was watching the second episode, and I I almost stood up and yelled at the TV because of a, a, something that was said, which I'm sure works into the story, but it just frustrated me so much. Is that they were like, well, you ever notice how? Romulan society doesn't really have a whole lot of artificial intelligence or robotics. They we're afraid of it and we don't know why. Your space borders board territory. You have a lot of experience with it and none of it's good. This ain't yeah. rocket science, people. Okay. <laughs> wasn't it the um wasn't it the reunification episode? TNG, mm-hmm. Spock, and Picard. Mm-hmm. And and that's what that it, this whole is harkened back to me, and that was my first thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, them trying to reunify the Romulan people, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I love seeing this uh, about the Romulans. I mean, they they've always been one of my favorites. And mm-hmm. um, there's just this. I've always found them. The, this might sound strange. I've always found the Romulans effortlessly cool that mm-hmm. they're just sort of laid back that you know um the, the the episode um where uh troy is taken and turned into a romulan mm-hmm. um and they're sitting around the dining table and discussing things 
they're all just sort of sitting back in their chairs, just sort of effortlessly eating and talking about where they went and what was going. They're all just sort of like effortlessly cool. And mm-hmm. that's why I've always thought about the Romulans. So to see that this has happened and who they've become and who they are now and seeing what's happened to them in this third episode, you see so much of what's happened to the Romulan people in this third episode. And it sort of changes how you look at them. And you see the ones protecting Picard and you start seeing them in a different light. And it's kind of astonishing how I started looking at them differently and almost more human Mm -hmm. with uh, an entirely different purpose and uh, I, I, I love the ones looking after Picard very much. I'm very intrigued by them. Yeah. I found that uh, it seems like with the Romulans, some early episodes of TNG really fleshed them out. It really mm-hmm. gave them a lot, of, a lot of new character that they hadn't had since the original series. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, we were kind of teased with big Romulan stories that never seemed to materialize. Right. Uh, you know, even Nemesis was supposed to be the big payout. It's like, this is going to be the Romulan movie. And like, oh, wait, it's really more of a Riemann movie. Right. It's like, oh. Okay, this is cool, but uh, you promised me steak and brought me a burger. And it's not that I don't like burgers, but... But I wanted... I wanted this big, you know, and you, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. now it's, it's like they're making good on this in a big, mm-hmm. big way that this is worth the wait. Oh, this yeah. was worth all the teases. Oh yeah. Seeing, you know, the involvement of the Tal Shiar mm-hmm. is just the infiltration. I was like, how deep is all of this going? How long has this been going on? You know, you know, Rafi has known this. What what depths is this known? This is amazing. It's just so it's I'm I am 100 percent in for this. 100 percent. And now incredibly interesting character, Rafi. She is just layer upon layer of strength and pain and wounded loyalty and just an interesting character. I want to know more about her. I'm, I'm very intrigued by her. And the fact that you're asking that question now just shows the strength of the writing because you're, you're leaving the show saying, I need to know more. I want to know more. And that is, it's the hook that they bad writing doesn't get. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say there have even Star Trek shows with let me saying, not a whole series, but there have been episodes where it's like, why did I even do, look at this? Why, why did I waste 60 minutes on this? And with this case, 60 minutes isn't enough. You're like, okay, we, we need that 10 part episode. Right. Yeah. Episode three finished. And I was, I was truly like, Oh, I, I need more. I was, mm-hmm. I kid you not. I had finished watching it and I was like, Oh, it, it can't be finished. I need more. Cause it was just, it was, it was building and it was building and it, it finished on a great note, mm-hmm. but you wanted, I was ready for more. 
And I, I'm almost glad that they're parceling it out week by week mm-hmm. or else I'd be done with the whole season already. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I'm almost sort of thankful that it's back to the way we used to watch Star Trek where we had to wait, mm-hmm. you know, for it to come on each week. It gives me, it gives you something to look forward to watching. I laugh at, you know, the silly decisions networks can make. But in this case, I think they're doing something extremely smart. They know the fans want to do what you and I are doing right this moment. They want us to go back and talk it over and try to figure out where this is heading and speculate on what this really means to the universe at large. And that doesn't happen with a show where you can watch all 13 episodes in a weekend. Oh, yes, exactly. Because you can. You know, when when those come out and you're like, I was so guilty of it. it like i don't know if you watch sabrina on netflix but that is i i just love that show and that comes out and i'm like okay there's my weekend and i would be like that w- with picard so mm-hmm. i am so thankful to them that they they only give it to me you know once mm-hmm. a week and i will and the fact that we already know we have a second season mm-hmm. with Guinan, yep i'm there yeah but and yeah, again one of those things that they've been kind of teasing at for decades now, it's like, finally, we're going to get that payoff. And I know even after only watching two episodes, it's going to be worth it. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Because, you know, even if even if we only have her for one episode, it won't be wasted. No. Because they know her significance to Picard. Mm-hmm. They know the relationship that she has with Jean-Luc, how important that relationship is. It is deeper than a friendship. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. I, I dare say, more important than Riker. It mm-hmm. is, it is Easily. A, a friendship that goes beyond just to war-torn friends. Mm-hmm. And... I think for Whoopi, when she saw the fan reaction at the 50th anniversary in Vegas, when she saw the fans' reaction to her in it, she seemed to really be surprised by the fan reaction to her. Uh, the writers saw that, and I, producers see that, and I think that they know the significance that is that they're weighted with, mm-hmm. and that they know that they need to deliver something of significance and not just a drive-by mm-hmm. that it's got to be something even even in one episode that it's got to be something that is weighted to the overall story mm-hmm. of some significance well i'm we've heard i mean you can start to see all this piece together from early tng we heard in time's arrow that Picard actually met uh, Guinan well before he ever knew he did, centuries before right. he knew he did. And then we heard, saw in Q Who, she says, there's, you're not supposed, to, the Borg are a big deal. They destroyed my people. Her, right. Guinan's origin is deeply entrenched in the Borg. And I actually have a whole different theory about that, which is a side t- conversation. We but, should talk sometime. Yeah, give me give me a minute because I I definitely will go into this, but now we're in a show that's 
basically about Picard and as Borg centric as it is. So that's those threads are going to weave back and forth in a hurry. And when Guinan is saying our our relationship is deeper than friendship, deeper mm-hmm. than family, mm-hmm. she could be talking about that their relationship holds their species in balance. Mm-hmm. Because th- those two may be the people that kept the Borg from destroying our quadrant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had forgotten about that. I, I remembered that it was cued that threw them and mm-hmm. introduced the Borg to them much sooner than they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. I said that. I had forgotten that episode, that he had thrown them and they weren't supposed to meet the Borg yet. No. That he had forced that meeting. I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It, it's a branch to go out on, but I don't think it's too thin a branch. I don't think, I don't think it's too thin. I, I don't. With her power, how old she could be, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's too thin of a branch. I think you're right to think that she has got to be woven into the storytelling. And I don't know that this current story is necessarily going to be neatly tied up with a bow mm-hmm. at the end of this first season. Watching what's happening with this story doesn't, I don't tend to think it's going to neatly be concluded in one season. No. I can see her needing to help in the second season. So, I mean, how many, what are we getting? Are we getting 10 episodes or 12 episodes for a season? I thought it was 10. Okay, because I didn't, I didn't remember. I I can't, but the, the number 10 keeps sticking in my mind. Yeah, and we're already at three. Mm-hmm. All I know is I'm very excited for her. You know, me as well. We, we, we all have our ones we want we want to see, and uh, if uh, I'm happy with the ones we're getting, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. We all have our favorite characters that we want to see, and uh, you know, people will put up on Twitter, "Who's your character you want to see? Who are you wanting to see?" And I'm like, "Of course, I put my crusher. I want to see my Beverly," and and I can justify all the reasons why she should be there. But I also understand if she's not, and mm-hmm. can justify all the reasons why she wouldn't be. So I am just going to enjoy the ride, and I am the type of fan that what you give me as a show. And from the writers and from the producers, I will take and enjoy because Mm -hmm. that is my job as a fan. Yeah. Your job is to create it to the best of your ability, make something wonderful. And it is my job as a fan to take it and enjoy it. And I will say personally, I, if I was steering this ship, which I'm not, but I mean, I could see this going down the way that Crusher is not in the series until the very last scene of the first season finale. And they, they managed to keep this secret because they know that's what everybody's waiting for. But, you know, he gets back to the vineyard and she's waiting there on the porch for him with a very angry look on her face or something like that. That is how I see this going down because they know that when they do play that card, it is going to be powerful. Yeah. So they're going to wait for just the right time. See, I can see it being something like an admonishment that she just comes in, maybe even with no lines, Mm -hmm. just that look, you know, 
and that's fine, you know. Luke I, Skywalker in Episode Seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm one of those. I'm just, I'm so thrilled that we're getting the show. I was in Vegas when he was there and he made that announcement, and I was one of those that was like. I was I was a little choked up sitting in that audience and clutching my friends' hands and we're all sitting there together and you know sitting there in our chairs and we're sort of crying and with everyone around us getting choked up and crying and you're applauding and you're trying to take pictures of him making this announcement and now we finally got it. I mean, I never thought we'd see you know Captain Picard on TV again. I never thought we'd see anything like this again. So I, I'm. I'm thrilled that we get anything like this. Mm -hmm. so, Agreed. I'm I'm not going to be making complaints about something that certainly doesn't need big complaints. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm good. So let me let me walk you through this theory that I was mentioning a couple minutes ago. Yes. Here. Okay. Now, because you already picked up on some of it there. Okay. Guinan says you people weren't supposed to be in this part of the galaxy for a very very long time. Right. So, she uh, Q throws them in that direction. They think that they got the Borg's attention and that that's the reason that the Borg show up a couple years later with the best of both worlds. That's the reason, you know, Wolf 359 happens. But then what happens is, in first contact, the Borg go back in time to post-World War III... And we find out that the Borg came to this quadrant because they they sent a signal from the Enterprise to Borg space saying, hey, these people are here. Get on your way. And like, oh, well, that they won't be here for 200 years. So in essence, that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Q. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't necessarily happen if it weren't for Guinan. So that the Borg essentially became their own paradox. Mm hmm. So Guinan and Q could theoretically be controlling, not controlling, but they're initiating a Borg, uh, what's the word, uh, a, a Borg uh, momentum or, or invasion. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder what things would have been like if that hadn't happened. It Would, would it have been the, the more peaceful uh, uh, time we were supposed to have in the Quadrant? So this is technically then a Picard paradox. Okay. Did he help signal them because they were helping get, make sure that that first warp, uh, when Zeppelin Cochran was supposed to make that, that first warp happen, that was supposed to signal the Vulcans, mm -hmm. and that's what the uh, everything was happening in first contact, and the uh, uh, the Borg were trying to signal to let you know to let the other Borg know to come down there. Correct. I'm on the right track. Right? Yep, 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 yep. I'm having trouble getting the words out too. So it's, it's right. we're just so, together. So, um, is 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 that, or was it when Q threw them? And saw the board. So, which one? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. So again, you know, in Voyager they used to call it the Janeway pair. You know, 
So here is the Picard, which mm-hmm. came first. So it's it becomes a really a, a, a tricky. A, a God, we're so nerdy right now. I know, know right? We are right now. I totally, I totally <laughs> do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this is why I wanted to sit down with you because I, again, with only a couple episodes of Picard out. We can't just talk about that because neither one of us knows where this is going. Right. But this is built on stuff that's been happening since 1987. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. No, it's it's, but it really is interesting, and 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 you have to wonder, and they know it that the fans that we sit and we know these episodes better than the writers do. That mm-hmm. we sit and we start. Well, wait a second. But in in such and such episode, you said this, so you can't say this, and and we know this stuff so much better. Mm-hmm. And so we're pulling all of these threads and trying to weave them into a tapestry that makes sense mm-hmm. in a in a real world, but in a fictional world with interest and drama and romance and passion for the sake of interest, you have to be able to say, okay, I'm going to pull this thread and I'm going to reweave it over here to make this more interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think fans have the biggest problem with, mm-hmm. with Trek storytelling is letting go of that whole idea of canon cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. Is once Gene wrote this, Once it was said, once this was established, it cannot be changed. Well, Gene did a lot of things in TOS and created a lot of things, and he changed them in TNG. Mm -hmm. You know, things change. Movie making changes, TV making changes. Um, And I just, I mean, again, I just feel we need to be open to the changing tides with them. And some fans just choose not to be open to that fabric and that weave of storytelling mm-hmm. change. And now I love what we were doing, trying to pull those pieces together and say, well, this happened here and this happened here. Does this cause this? Mm-hmm. Do we know if maybe in, in actuality with storytelling, did the writers just say, we know this, we know this, we're going to push this aside and we're going to tell this story. And these two things have nothing to do with each other. I'm, I'm well aware that there are times that these stories come out, not from some desire to create this amazing, beautiful universe, but because somebody has a deadline and two pots of coffee and they have to get a script sometime before next Tuesday. I, I get that. But Having said that, I, I when people put Gene up on a pedestal, and I have nothing but respect for the man and his creation and his vision, but it doesn't take any of that aside to say not every single thing he came up with was a home run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and that's, that's all right. I'm saying. He, he was an artist. He was a human being. Mistakes can be made. And that's when the people who come behind you say, okay, Seemed like a good idea at the time. Let's rework that a bit. Absolutely. And that is okay to say. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Our greatest heroes that we love, whether they be um, 
some sort of fiction writer, a, a painter, a musician. Oh my gosh, my favorite artists, my favorite bands in the world. They've got whole albums that I'm like, oh, guys, not your, not, yeah. not your best, not your best moment. It is okay. You can still have them up on that highest pedestal and go. A little bit of a misstep, but I am still 100% there with you. It yeah. Not take away from your love of that franchise, of that fandom, of that person to actually have a little negative critical response. It, it doesn't. And to be able to sit down with someone and say, I love this fandom, you love this fandom, and we can have different opinions about it. And, and that's okay. And you can have a polite conversation where you have differing opinions about it. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely okay. It's probably a good thing to look at it from different sides. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from either of yours love of the franchise at all. It just means you're looking at it from different points of view. That's actually a really great thing to look at it from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think when people get lost is they dig their heels in and they're like, no, this was his dream. No, this was, this was. And then it becomes this battle mm -hmm. when neither of you ever met him, neither of you ever talked about his dream. No. And it becomes this ugly battle that never needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek became popular because of, the, among many reasons, because of the vision for the future it presented, because of the way he portrayed humanity. And that's great. But he didn't exactly sit down with a blueprint and tell you how every detail worked. And that was deliberate. Yeah. It was the idea. It was the concept. It wasn't supposed to be a solid diagram from which you could not deviate. Right. And why people have to interpret it that way confuses me a great deal. Right. It was, at least for me, when I look at it, it was like, this is a sense of where I think it'd be a great place for us to be. Mm-hmm. It's not a, there was not a map saying, this is how we get there. Mm -hmm. It was just, it'd be a great place if we got to a point where people aren't working for the sake of accumulating wealth and accumulating things, but we do things for the sake of learning or for the sake of the art mm -hmm. or for, for the sake of this. And we all have a place to live and mm -hmm. we can all have an education on whatever subject we, we might want to do and we can all do this. That's a great concept. My gosh, that's an awesome concept. But it doesn't tell you how we're going to get there. No. And that is, I think, the, one of the points that he was trying to make and put on people is like, he never claimed to be the smartest person in the room as far as knowing how to get there. Mm -hmm. But I think again, for me, I only speak for myself, that he might have been telling people, hey, those of you who have the ability to make these things happen, maybe this might be a thing to think about and mm -hmm. a road to try to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, just to use the example, you say, well, instead of accumulating wealth, you can work for the greater good, you can work to learn. I, I, I like to use the example of Cisco's father. Who ran mm. a restaurant? Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. Why I, I mean, do, do you do you really wake up in the morning and say, "I want to cook dinner for fifty people"? I don't. 
if there's no money, what's he doing it for? I don't know. Uh, but you know what? I, I, in the future, I want there to be restaurants. Right. I want to have good meals. I'm not super worried about exactly how the economics work out. I'm sure there's something motivating him. It might be money. It might be something else. I don't know. But let's not act like this is a solid system from which we cannot have any disagreement as to how it works. Right. It's an idea. It's a right. vision. Right. I mean, I always loved that. You know, when they would go back and visit his dad, mm-hmm. he's out there peeling potatoes and sitting mm-hmm. on the back porch of that restaurant, on that back stoop, you mm-hmm. know, peeling those bags of potatoes. I'm like, couldn't you just replicate peeled potatoes? Or better yet, just replicate the mashed I, I don't know. But there was something about that homespun Louisiana-type restaurant mm-hmm. when you walked in with the tables and the chairs that I loved. And like, and that wasn't even an era that his dad would have been born in. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved that. So Okay. What are you drinking there, can I ask? Um, hot tea. Okay. Hot tea. It's just my hot tea. Let, let's imagine. I, I don't care if it's liquor for all I can. I'm saying this. I, I just need to know what's in that because I'm using an example. Okay. Let's imagine we can replicate some hot tea for you. How are we going to design that? Well, we're going to make the best cup of tea ever imagined, and we're going to take it apart and store it digitally. So every time we make some tea, we're going to recreate because you wouldn't make crap tea to replicate. Right. You would want the best tea ever made. You you would go through dozens of teas before you could figure out which one you're going to replicate. Okay, that's great. But if every time you go to that replicator, you're getting the exact same amazing cup of tea, you would get used to it. You get a little bored with it. You when you somebody makes something by hand, even if it's not a hundred percent perfect. The fact that it's got its personality, it's a function of what was done on the stove at that particular day. Mm-hmm. That's something that you're not going to get. And that's I, that, I think that's got to be a motivator for it's like, we're back on earth. Let's get a home-cooked meal. I see your point. Yeah, there's that. Um, it's special. Yeah. It's special. And that's the one thing that something replicated is going to be identical each time. Mm-hmm. And there's that difference when you do it by hand that no matter how many times you do it, it's going to be different, even slightly different. Mm-hmm. Hmm, good point. I see your point. Uh, I've, I've just thought I'd throw that out there. And because, you know, when Cisco would disable the fire systems in his apartment so he could actually cook on a stove there, right. and not, it's like he knew that, that that was what people needed sometimes. Yeah. And as much as I want to just be able to tap my wallet and get some chicken wings, I have to say... <laughs> Would I get bored having literally the same wings? Not the same recipe, literally yeah. the same wings the same each wings. time. Yeah. With the, the same texture crust, mm-hmm. the same. It'd be exactly, yeah, that could get boring. No, I see your point. Yeah. That's a good, I had actually never once considered that. I well, never I, considered it. Mm-mm. It just became an engineering thing. It's like, well, if you're going to store something as a pattern, you want to store the reference pattern, the best of the best. But mm. getting the best of the best every single time. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, good point. No, that was good. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. I loved how he's now Earl Grey decaf hot. <laughs> it's like you get to the age, oh, damn, now the tea's got to be decaf. <laughs> I've hit that age. Yeah. Uh, you know, any caffeine after 4 o'clock, and I'm up until... One, two o'clock in the morning. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I can manage until about five or six at the latest, and, and mm -hmm. then only if I have a little bit, but... Nope. Mm -hmm. Nope. Nope. Anything after four, and I'm up all night. Yeah. Super caffeine sensitive. And I will say that there's I have a little bit of a beef with Picard, the, mm -hmm. the man, not the show, mm -hmm. in that he has made Earl Grey tea so popular that everybody asks for it, and I kind of prefer Lady Grey myself. Uh-huh. And you can't find that anywhere. It's super I, hard to find. It really is. And it's like and it's like, do you mean Earl Grey? No, no. I like that, but I really want Lady Grey. That Earl you know, Earl Grey, and it's so funny that you know, you can always tell a first time Earl Grey drinker because mm -hmm. they don't realize how strong it is. Mm -hmm. That it, it's it's not a mild tea. No. It it it's it's got a morning kick to it. And, uh, you know, it, it is a nice wake-me-up tea. And uh, I, I'm always amused by that. The first time someone, you know, is, oh, your first time having Earl Grey. Oh, let's, let's see you enjoy it. <laughs> I'm one of those people that I, I put the tea in, the tea bag in, and I never take it out because I just wanted to constantly steep while I'm drinking it. Uh -huh. so oh. By the time I get to the last sip, it's like it's pure hard. tannic acid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do like a good tea. <laughs> And actually, Patrick Stewart doesn't really care for it all that much, so he gets annoyed. I might say annoyed, but he's like, people, I, I, don't send me any more Earl Grey. Right. It's funny, but I've got enough. It's like Michael Dorn and the prune juice. It's like... Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they, you know, I, I, I remembered, I remembered um, reading an old interview with the girls from Sex and the City that they were always being sent Cosmos. Mm -hmm. and and like uh, i think it was kristen davies who doesn't even drink and they were they were saying it's like that's the thing is we we forget these are actors mm -hmm. they, they, you know they they don't really want this stuff they're good yeah they, they don't Did really you, need it in life have you ever been at a con where michael jordan tells the prune juice story i don't think i don't know that i've heard the prune juice story okay um well, he is a very gracious man, and even though he doesn't really drink prune juice a whole lot, when people come, obviously they want to give him a jug because they think it's funny. Then apparently he's never heard this joke before. So fans will come up to him at cons, they'll give him a jug of prune juice, they all laugh it off, and he's like, I, one of those people doesn't want to waste food, that's, you don't do that. So he takes it home and puts it in his fridge. And accumulates jug after jug after jug of prune juice. And early on in the show, after he'd been to his first few cons, his mother comes to visit, opens up the refrigerator and says, and I quote, boy, is everything all right? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, I somehow had missed that story. Huh. That's good. Or, or speaking of family visits, uh, the one where Jonathan Frakes goes back to visit his parents after getting cast. Mm. Okay. Um, he and I both from Pennsylvania, so I can definitely see this happening in, in the household. Goes back to Pennsylvania to visit his family. Um, and again, he had just started on the show. Still, you know, no beer, the spandex uniform. And he goes home. He sees the ad from TV Guide taped to the refrigerator. And J Patrick Stewart's face is right on there. And it was folded in half, and the half that was folded back to face the fridge was the half he was on. Oh. Like, you, you don't even put the side with me on it facing outward? 
Thanks, Mom. Oh. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now, didn't... Now, Jonathan has directed a couple of episodes of Picard, didn't he? I would think so. He's a great director, and they always bring him back for... He did Next I, Gen, he did DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. I was sure he ended up doing it, maybe two episodes. Oh, I could check that right now, actually, if it would help. Did he do the finale? The season finale? Jonathan Frakes, Picard, directing. Uh, yeah, it looks like it. Good. Okay, good. Those are usually the best. Yeah. Very good. So I'm going to be looking forward to this. How about you? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You, you know, and it's so funny. I just, it, um, <laughs> it's so silly, but I actually want, a, a, I'd like a little more screen time of number one. I'd like to see more of the dog. Yeah. You know, I, the dog cute. I'm a dog person, so yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And that was one thing that always kind of bugged me is that we wouldn't see more dogs on the Enterprise. It's like you got cats, you got fish, you got you know, spiders, and, and come on, nobody has a dog. Yeah. Of course, yeah. you get the question of where do you walk it, but that's what the holodeck's for, I'm sure. Uh, well, you know, you, you know, you know, there's the assumption that there's some sort of like cleaning laser or something that just zaps it away or something that they can just go anywhere and it just, you know, in my mind, that's the way it would work. So makes it easy. I, I just want to go back and, and resurrect Gene and say, okay, let's forget the stuff about money and war and stuff. How do we clean dog stuff off of the floor of the Enterprise? <laughs> how, how does that work in your advanced society? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, on Enterprise, was, that was never discussed where Porthos went, except mm -hmm. for one planet when he, did, when he peed on that one tree uh -huh. that got him in trouble. We never discussed where he went actually on the ship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and weird fans like us, I'm like, okay, where did Porthos go? You know, the, you know, those of us that have those realistic concerns for animals were mm -hmm. like, hey, where did, where did Porthos actually go? And I, I love I, Porthos, by the way. Oh I thought God. he was adorable. It's odd that my dog isn't behind me right now because a lot of times lately she's been podcasting right behind me when I sit here. But the first time I rewatched Enterprise with, with her in the house and Porthos came on the screen, she went up there and sat down in front of the screen and stared at it like a teenage girl watching a One Direction video. I mean, it was <laughs> like she had her first crush. It that was adorable. Awesome. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. My two are put away because they were so chatty with each other so that I... I put them in the other room or else they'd be running around trying to get up in my lap and they'd be, <laughs> you would be seeing them. So that's not a bad deal. <laughs> you could do that next time. Yes. I'll bring them for the next one. I, why okay. don't we get together after the uh, season wraps up and, and talk about this again? I would love to. Okay. I'd love to. We'll pencil that in for a week or so after the finale. Sure. Sounds great. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, just let's remind people where they can get a hold of you and follow your adventures. Uh, space Geek Girl on all my social media for Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Is you can find me on all those. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. My pleasure.
I would like to thank Madison for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the geek resources part of the show today, I want to point out that I am a big fan of physical media. Madison and I spent some time discussing streaming today, and I do think streaming has its place, but when it comes to stuff that I want to have forever and ever, nothing beats a physical shiny disc. And the digitalbits.com is the best place to get information on any new releases, any re-releases of old material. It's just a fantastic resource for people who want to have the highest possible quality of recorded media. And for the community building part of the show, which again is something that I ask of my viewers to help me get the word out about Hungry Trilobite, this is something that costs you nothing and takes less than five minutes, I would ask, why don't you reach out to your convention of choice and see if they'd be interested in having me over? Just drop them an email, give them my website and name, and just say, hey, this guy might be a good guest in some way, shape, or form. Why don't you reach out to him? I would appreciate that. And if you want to reach out to me, my email address is bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. Everything's on my website, www.aaronbossig.com. We'll see you next time.